Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we gather together this morning to worship You. You are our creator, sustainer. And as we turn to your word, Lord, I pray that we can see your truth. We can see what you have done for us as it pertains to salvation. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So when a jeweler wants to show off a diamond, it's customary to place it in front of a black velvet background. We've seen this, I think most of us have seen this done before. Nice black background, then you have this beautiful gem, whether it's a diamond or any type of jewelry placed in front. And the idea is is this, when the jewelry is placed in front of a black background, such as what you're seeing right now, it really highlights the jewel. You can see the beauty of the diamond better when it has a black background. Brothers and sisters, today, that's precisely what we're going to see. We're going to see the Apostle Paul do the exact same thing. Now, we know that the Apostle Paul was not a jeweler. We do know that he was bivocational as a tent maker. So he's not going to put jewels in front of a black background to show off their beauty. No, no, no. That's not what Paul's doing today. What we're going to see the Apostle Paul do today here in the first chapter of 1 Timothy is this. He's going to put himself as the backdrop to the gospel. He's going to use his dark background of who he is and his sinfulness and highlight the gem of salvation. And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning, because really that's what Paul's wanting to do. He wants to highlight God's grace, but not just God's grace. In the title, we see God's saving grace. That's the title of our sermon this morning, Saving Grace. Grace. As we said, it's going to be from the book of 1 Timothy. We're in chapter 1, looking at verses 12 through 17 this morning. But before we get into these verses, we cannot forget where we came from because we started off with the first 11 verses last Sunday. And what we learned last week is that there is a contrarian view to sound doctrine. There is an unsound view of doctrine. And we learn that this is actually, when you break it down to its brass tacks, it's really salvation by self. That's the contrarian view. We also recognize that the law does not condemn, but rather reveals God's grace. So when we look at the Ten Commandments, we don't look at them in a way to condemn ourselves. We look at the Ten Commandments as a way to see how God has extended His grace to us. Yeah, that's right, us, sinful man. Today, the Apostle Paul is going to share his personal testimony. 
His personal testimony of how he came to a saving faith in Jesus. He's going to be the black velvet background to God's impeccably cut, colored, clarity, and carat weight of a diamond, which is actually AKA salvation. Now, for those of you that are a little amazed that I know about cut, clarity, color, and carat weight, that goes back about 18 years ago when I was getting married and Hope made sure that I knew the four C's before I buy a diamond. Actually, I'm joking. You guys know her well enough. She wouldn't make a big deal of as much. But let's go ahead and get into this text this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. I thank him who, gives, who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So as we look at these verses this morning, we want to throw them into this one simple sentence so it makes it easier for us to understand what's actually going on in this section of verses this morning. And that simple sentence would state this. It's really quite this easy. No one is beyond the scope of God's grace and mercy. No one is beyond the scope of God's grace and mercy. I read this account this week. It actually stood out to me first and foremost because I've always known about LaGuardia Airport in New York. The big one now is JFK, but before JFK was JFK, there was LaGuardia. I didn't know where the name came from, so that's where I first read this account, and then it stood out to me. But it's actually named after this individual right here, Fiorello LaGuardia. He was actually the mayor of New York around the time of the Great Depression until World War II. He was actually known as a pretty colorful figure in New York. I know by looking at this picture, you wouldn't see as much, but trust me, you know how we all have photos from back in the day of hairstyles where we kind of regret them? Just so you guys know, in eighth grade, I had this exact same haircut. I kid you not. And David, you had powdered donuts on your face last week. Speaking of audience participation, Thank you, David, for clapping. So, Fiorello was known as a pretty colorful character. He was the mayor, like I said, of New York during the Great Depression up until about World War II. He was known to actually ride on the fire trucks of the NYFD. He was known to take entire orphanages to baseball games. He was also known to actually go alongside the NYPD and raid speakeasies because it was during the time of Prohibition that he was mayor of New York City. 
In fact, when the newspapers would go on strike, it was said that he would actually go on the radio himself and read the funnies over the air. But there's something that happened with Fiorello that actually sets him apart. One evening, he went to night court. Apparently, there was a lady who was on trial, or she was before the judge. I don't know if she was actually on trial, but she was definitely before the judge. And this particular court happened to be in one of the poorest areas or poorest boroughs. Probably not the whole borough, but sections of a borough in New York City. Or we would probably call it a ward. That's what probably they called it. Probably one of the, the poorest wards of all of New York City. This lady was before the judge. And the reason why she was before the judge was this reason alone. Her daughter's husband had left her daughter. Her daughter was sick and they were broke during the Great Depression. So the mother, the grandmother of the children, stole some loaves of bread from a grocer just to feed her daughter and her grandchildren. But she got caught. The judge said, I have to make an example out of her. I can't just let this go because if I let her go, then somebody else is going to do it. So the judge decided to fine her either her choice, $10, or 10 days in jail. Now, $10 was a lot of money back then. So Mayor LaGuardia stepped up and said, I'm paying this fine. In fact, this is exactly what he said. Here is the $10 fine, which I now remit. And furthermore, I'm going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren can eat. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the defendant. All of the New York police, or police, excuse me, all the New York City newspapers reported the following day that $43.50 was collected, which the mayor gave and turned over to the lady. Brothers and sisters, this is how God's grace works. Jesus stepped in and paid our penalty. God has shown us favor that we did not deserve, which is precisely the point Paul is making in verses 12, 13, and 14. But before we begin, this is the Apostle Paul's personal testimony. we got to keep that in mind. Everything that we're going to hear from here on is Paul's personal testimony. And first we observe the source of grace and mercy. The Lord. What does Paul say? He says, I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. Now see, his use of the noun strength is actually interesting. I find it rather interesting because really everything Paul is able to do, he does through Jesus. That's what he's saying. When he says that he has received strength from Christ Jesus, he's saying everything that I am able to do, I can only do because I've received my strength through Jesus. Brothers and sisters, what a wonderful reminder. God is the only one who gives our only job is to receive. 
It's not that Paul had proven himself faithful, though. He hadn't, up until this point, proven himself to be so faithful to where God would have done this for him. But rather, it's more along the lines of God knowing Paul's capacity to actually be faithful. See, because God is all-knowing, and so is Jesus. He is the Alpha and the Omega. See, up until this point, Paul had only been faithful as a blasphemer. What else does it say? As a persecutor. He said he was insolent, or he said he was an insolent opponent. He'd only been faithful to being in opposition to the gospel. And if you go back to last week, he had only been faithful in being a contrarian to what was sound doctrine. But God knew he had a capacity to be as faithful as Paul proved to actually be. He was nothing more than a mass murderer of Christians up until this point. And that's the black velvet that he's showing us. This is his personal testimony. He was a blasphemer. See, what that means is he denied the deity of Jesus. Blasphemy is when we say, no, Jesus is not God. Jesus is just, you know, the Son of God. He's not actually God in flesh. When we say that, we are blaspheming the name of Jesus. He was also a persecutor. Now, in Acts 9, verses 1 through 6, I just want to read these verses for you. But this is the reason why Paul is known to us as being a persecutor of the church. Now, mind you, his name wasn't always Paul. He started off as Saul. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, now the way was the believers, those Christians, found any Christians, basically is what he's saying, men or women, he might bring them bound back to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, so he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Quite clearly from this encounter, we understand that those who persecute Jesus or those who persecute the children of Jesus actually persecute Jesus. Because that's what Paul was doing. He was going around finding Christians, those of the way, And he wanted to bound them up and take them back to Jerusalem. That's why Jesus encountered him and said, why are you persecuting me? See, he confesses to having been an insolent opponent as well. Now, what that means in the original language, the actual original word that's used here in the Greek, it actually means to be a bully. But it goes a little bit beyond that because really an insolent opponent is someone who's not only a bully, but it's also someone who takes pleasure in seeing someone else suffer. So not only was Paul going around trying to find Christians, but he was taking pleasure in the fact of the suffering that they were going to endure under his leadership. The Lord being all-knowing, however, what does it say He does to Paul? He judged Paul. And He judged him to be what? What does it say? Faithful. Therefore, what did Paul receive? 
He received mercy. Now, see, the interesting about this is that mercy removes something. And what mercy removes is misery. So here's Paul running around tracking Christians down to make sure that they suffer, they experience some misery, and he's going to take pleasure in it. But what does God do to Paul? He judged him as being faithful, and he showed him mercy. God took away the one thing that Paul liked seeing happen to other people that were awful and terrible. However, it's also important to understand that when it says grace of our Lord, we need to understand what grace actually does. So if mercy removes misery, grace has to remove something else. And you can think of it this way, M and M for mercy and misery, and then you can think G and G because grace removes guilt. And this is the diamond against the black velvet background. Paul had a past to feel guilty about. But God's grace removes guilt. God's mercy removes misery. Paul is setting the stage. He's saying, look at my testimony. Look at this dark, awful, sinful background that I have. Here's the diamond. Here's the gospel. Here's God's grace. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it wonderful? I was going around as a blasphemer. I was a murderer. I was an insolent opponent. I took pleasure in watching others suffer. But God showed me mercy. And God showed me grace despite all that I have done. And really, when we see that, we can say this. The grace of God saves the worst of the worst from their worst. The grace of God saves the worst of the worst from their worst. Also, let's not forget our main idea this morning. No one is beyond the scope of God's grace and mercy. And Paul is our example of that. He's putting his personal testimony on full display for us right here in 1 Timothy verses 12 through 17. As we move on to verses 15 through 17, if you're basically a good person, if you would say that, you know, basically I'm, I'm a pretty, pretty good person, I got news for you. Jesus didn't come to save you. What does it say here? It says Christ Jesus came into the world to do what? Oh, that's right. Save sinners. So if you would say things like this, well, I'm not perfect. I may have a, a few faults. I make a mistake from time to time. If you think you're about, you know, pretty good at balancing out with your bad deeds with more good deeds, then Jesus did not come to save you. Though you're still sinful, Though you're still a sinner, He still didn't come to save you because there's a problem. It's your perspective. It's, it's the way in which you're honestly evaluating your own 
heart. See, he came to save sinners, and this is what Paul has to say about this. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Now, Paul is going to put that black velvet background out again, and he's going to put the diamond of God's grace, the cornerstone of the gospel, right on full display. See, take a look at the tense at the phrase ending in verse 15. There's an interesting tense that Paul chose to use. He didn't have to use this tense, but he used this tense on purpose. What does it say? I am the what? For most. I am. He didn't say, I was the foremost. That could have been very easy. In fact, most times when we hear people give their testimony, they act like they've graduated from sinning. Oh, I was this, I was that. No, Paul says, I am the foremost. Not I was. Do you know what this is telling us? See, when I see language like this, I'm encouraged. Because this is God's word reminding me, and it should be reminding you, to preach the gospel to yourself each and every day. Every single day, we are all preachers. That's right. You are a preacher of the gospel. And you should start by preaching the gospel to yourself. Brothers and sisters, this is why he received mercy. This is why we should receive God's mercy through Jesus too. Because look how Paul looks at himself. He still looks at himself as the same sinner that he was. Now, he's not doing this in guilt. Because he knows God's mercy. He's already clearly told us that he's received God's mercy. So he's not dealing with the misery associated with having a sinful past, present, and future. We know that he's already received God's grace, which removes the guilt. So he doesn't do this out of a guilty conscience. He's doing this because he's being realistic. What does it say? It says the perfect patience of Jesus. Now, see, that's proof that no sin is bigger than the cross. That's proof that there's no excuse. Either with ourselves or maybe somebody that we know, we have a tendency to make sins bigger than the cross. We have a tendency to say, you know, this sin's a level one sin, this sin's a level five sin, that's somewhere around a two and a half. No, all sin is created equal. Sin is sin is sin is sin. Now, speaking of Paul using the tense that he chose to use by saying, I am the foremost, still putting himself in the same category that he's always been in, I find this quote from Charles Spurgeon, who is known as the Prince of Preachers, to be very revealing and enlightening. He said this, he said, All men are truly sinners, but all men are not equally sinners. They are all in the same mire, but they have not all sunk to an equal depth into it. Basically what that's saying is this. All men are equally sinful. That's really what Spurgeon's driving right here. But it's that they do not understand their sinfulness equally. That's the problem. We're all equally as sinful It's just that we all don't understand how sinful we really are. 
That's what Paul is doing. When he says, I am the foremost, he's understanding each and every day more and more how sinful he is. But the beauty of that is it highlights that grace. It shows us how much we need Jesus. We will never graduate from the need of Jesus. There's an anonymous quote that said this. I thought this was interesting as as well. A man was asked, how do you get saved? His answer was, God did his part and I did my part. What was God's part and what was your part? He said, God's part was the saving and my part was the sinning. I ran from him as fast as my sinful heart and rebellious legs could take me. He took out after me till he ran me down. Church. You don't find the kingdom. The kingdom finds you. Paul says he's the chief of all sinners. He says that he's the foremost of all sinners. And that's what he's telling us. The kingdom found me. That's what happened on the road to Damascus. The kingdom found him. That's God's grace. That's God's mercy. If we could find the kingdom on our own, we wouldn't need Jesus. Because we could do it. Last time I checked, we can do absolutely nothing. That's why when we see the Bible misquoted, as we learned in Ezekiel in Sunday school this morning, we see people taking their little pet verses and abusing them, like Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then they think they can go out and do whatever they want. I can go out and start a business. I can go join this sports team. I can go join this hobby. I can go do this. I can go do that. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That has nothing to do with any of the things I just mentioned. Because the Bible has everything to do with salvation. And if the Bible has everything to do with salvation, then we know that salvation is through Faith alone, grace alone, in Christ alone, meaning that every verse in the Bible leads to Jesus. That's what Paul's telling us. I am the foremost. Every day we should realize more and more how sinful we are. Every day we should realize our capacity to sin is far greater than what we realized it was yesterday. Then we lean in on God's mercy and God's grace because we realize we don't find the kingdom. The kingdom finds us. So as Joe comes up and joins me, I would like to ask a question. Have you yet to accept God's grace yourself? Maybe you know somebody who's yet to accept God's grace. See, the king of the ages the immortal and invisible, the one and only God wants to have mercy on your pending misery. And I say pending for a reason, because without God's grace, there's mercy yesterday, today, and tomorrow to come. He wants to give you His grace, the grace that removes guilt, which means there's no sin that's too big for the cross. 
To know in your heart that you need to receive His grace is the mark of one who is saved. There's no prayer that you pray. There's nothing in the Bible that says you pray a prayer, then you come to a saving faith in Christ. It doesn't work like that. It's the one who knows in their heart that they need God's grace and God's mercy. That is the mark of one who is saved. So if you're sitting here this morning and you've been questioning, am I really truly saved? If you understand your capacity to sin, if you're learning more and more each day about your sinfulness and you know that the only solution is God's grace and mercy which is received through Jesus, then rest assured you are showing signs of the mark of one who is saved. And this is something that we can say time and time again, and it allows us to be able to say this one sentence as we put these verses together. Jesus came to save those who know their sinfulness. It's that easy. Jesus came to save those who know their sinfulness. Yes, did Jesus come to save? Yes. Did Jesus have the capacity or does he have the capacity to save all yes he does but not all are willing to realize their own sinfulness it's those who know their own sinfulness jesus came to save those who know that they are inherently sinful again our first point this morning stated this the grace of god saves the worst of the worst from their worst there is no sin that is too big for the cross. Allow God's grace to remove the guilt and shame of your past. And finally, our main idea this morning stated that no one is beyond the scope of God's grace and mercy. Let's pray. Lord, your grace and mercy equals our salvation. We are thankful for the work of Jesus upon the cross. Our prayer is to be a church that can preach that truth to ourselves daily and also share that truth with those that we come in contact with so they can come to a saving faith in you too. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.